Good evening and welcome to our Wednesday sermon series. We're continuing this evening in the book of Hebrews and we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through to 13. It's quite a challenging passage so you probably will need once you've got a Bible in front of you to keep it open so you can keep referencing to it. So I'm going to read for us Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. For the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them, did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following that example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray and then we'll unpack those words together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the hope, the challenges, the encouragers we find in it. And we just pray this evening as we unpack what is quite a tricky passage to to work out what it's about. Lord, that you will just give us eyes and ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us through this passage. So we pray that you will challenge and change us, renew and equip us to be more like Jesus. Amen. At the end of um, the message this evening, we're, we're going to go on to a live Zoom chat. Um, so if you want to join in with that, the details of how to log in will come in down the comments section on the side. Um, there'll be a few questions that I'm going to throw out there that I'm not going to answer. So you can hold those questions and keep them in mind for that conversation a bit little later on. But let's dive in anyway. The beginning of October 1929, the then Soviet Union decided to abolish the weekend. Particularly Sundays, which up until that point had been like it had been for most of what then I suppose we would have called Christendom, was a day of rest, where the machines of industry fell silent, where people met with friends, they met with family, they went to church. All of that suddenly stopped. The day of rest was abolished. And from then on, the whole nation 
millions and millions of people went on to the biggest experiment of shift work that the world has ever known. So people still had days off, but they weren't always the same day off. And so what happened is families couldn't spend a Sunday together. Friends might not see each other socially for weeks on end. And it started to have a real impact on society. So the government kept tweaking it. They kept thinking of different ways of doing it to try and make sure that work just continued non-stop across the nation. After 11 years, they had to give it up altogether because what they found was that the impact on people's well-being, social well-being, emotional well-being, physical well-being, mental well-being was so severe that actually it was being counterproductive. Here in front of us this evening, we have um, some verses in the Bible that actually highlight to us the need for rest and that rest is God's idea in the first place. And what this passage reminds us of is that rest was there right at the beginning of time when God rests on day seven of creation, that rest continues to be part of human experience in this life, and that there is eternal rest that is to be looked for and to be hoped for as our final destination as followers of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you experienced this, but when I read that passage, there is part of me thinks, Goodness me, writer to the Hebrews, what are you on about? This is not an easy passage to decipher. It's also one we can easily miss the context of if we um, don't sort of take it in, in if you like, part of the whole as to what has gone before and what will come afterwards as well. So we have to just look a little bit further back to find out what was going on in the verses beforehand to then set some kind of context for these verses that we're looking at this evening. Verses 12 to 13 of chapter 3, there is an encouragement to stand firm. It says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And so effectively, that is the kind of context that we find ourselves in for chapter 4. And really what the writer is saying is missing out on the Sabbath rest of God is as a result of rebellion, of unbelief, And so really, all this chapter is part of this kind of warning. A few weeks ago, while we were um, still gathering together on Sunday mornings and we were looking at Hebrews chapter 2, I mentioned that for for these Jewish Christians who the, the writer to the Hebrews is writing to, there seems to be quite a pullback to go back to their own ways of um, Jewish worship but not recognising Jesus as Messiah. And so rather than the, what was quite um, a sort of risky life in these early years as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, there was the pullback to go to the normality of law-keeping and synagogue worship. And so what the writer is doing here is saying, hold your ground, stand firm, stay put where you are in Jesus, because this is where God's hope is. This is where God's hope resides. And so in verse 1 of chapter 1, we get this important word that we'll, we'll come across so often in Hebrews. Therefore, because of all that has gone on before, therefore, do this, think this, believe this, trust this. If you've got a Bible in front of you, just those couple of verses before chapter 4 is all about Moses and it's all about how the people failed to enter the promised land and failed to get the rest that God had promised, again, because of disobedience. So, rather than work through this passage verse by verse, what we're going to do is look at it really under three headings. And it's the three different types of rest that we find in this passage. The first one is, if you like, seventh day rest or Sabbath rest. The second one is then the rest 
of the promised land, the rest that is promised to the people of Israel. And the third thing is the eternal rest that is still to come for all those who trust in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's firstly look at the seventh day Sabbath rest. Verse 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his works. What the writer here is doing is taking us right back to the dawn of time, right back to Genesis chapter 2 verse 2 where it talks about God resting from creating. Now just a bit of a random aside here, and it's always good to do a random aside. Um, What I think we find in the book of Hebrews is that the writer has a huge knowledge of the Old Testament and we'll keep referring to the Old Testament time and time again. But if you were alive in the first century and you wanted to look up a Bible verse, it really wasn't that easy because nobody nobody had copies of the Bible like we have them. The Bible was kept on large scrolls and it was only the Old Testament and it was mostly housed in synagogues. So we find at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, for instance, that Jesus goes into the synagogue and he unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, then he starts to read. So there may have been synagogues with with certain books of the Bible available, there may have been libraries, but somebody in their own home would have had to have memorised scripture in order to then quote it back. We live in a a virtual world, and particularly so at the moment, most of our experience seems to be online. And just simply by the fact that you're watching this this evening means that at your fingertips you have thousands of versions of the Bible available to you to look at, to read, to study, to do whatever you want. And yet you know it's quite easy, I think, in our culture to be access rich to the Word of God, but knowledge poor. But knowledge poor. So here's a challenge, and this was a challenge that used to get issued to me when I was in Sunday school as a little kid, say seven or eight years old. If you can prove to me that you want to learn verses 12 and 13 of this chapter and send me a video, I will buy you a Mars bar. You can't get better than that. I will buy you a Mars bar. That's what used to happen to me when I was seven and eight. So Dave Langton, he may even be watching today. This was him who used to do this. He used to buy me a Mars bar if I learnt verses of the Bible. What an amazing thing to know God's word so that actually when we're really tested, God's word is there in our hearts, in our minds, and we can just bring it into a situation that we find ourselves. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Back to Sabbath rest. At the dawn of time, God creates. From the power of his voice alone in Genesis, through the word which is Jesus Christ, John 1 tells us, the whole cosmos, the whole universe is spoken into being. And at the seventh day of creation, God, who is all-knowing, all-seeing and untiring, takes rest. And there's a big question there, isn't there? Why does God do that? Why does God rest on the seventh day? And we're not going to be able to answer that fully in this particular talk this evening, but just to give some sort of pointers in that direction. We tend to associate rest, don't we, with recuperation from work. As human beings, it doesn't matter what you're doing, eventually you have to stop and you have to rest from it. If you're doing, say, physical labour, and I know many of us will probably be doing more work in the garden, if you've got a garden, than perhaps you would normally be doing. And I was doing that this week and I was digging over flower beds and I'm thinking, I'm going to have to stop this for a while, my muscles aren't used to doing this, I'm going to have to rest. Or if you're doing academic work and you're there poring over books and you're reading articles, eventually you get to a point where you have to take a break. 
Or if you're running, you know, even if you're the fittest, best trained runner possible and you can run a marathon, you can't just keep going and going and going. Eventually, as human beings, we have to take rest. Up until um, probably just about a week ago, the last two or three weeks prior to that had probably been some of the most busy, disorientating weeks I've ever known in ministry. Because so much changed as to what church is like, what, what we do as um, church leaders, how church feels and all those kind of things. You know, we're used as Christians to being a gathered people. We're used as Christians to coming together, say, on a Sunday morning to worship, to sharing time together. We're used to gathering in our small groups. We're used to gathering in our prayer meetings. And in this country particularly, that has happened unhindered for century after century. But we're also used to being a sent people. And as a church family at Lynn Baptist, we're always encouraging one another to go out with the good news, to talk to somebody about why you have a hope and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then over that two-week period, just literally a couple of weeks ago, it all changed. We can't currently gather apart from virtually, and let's be honest, it's not the same. It's good to be able to use technology, but it's not the same as being with one another. We can do our small groups over Zoom. But again, it all still feels a bit weird and it's a bit unnatural compared to what we used to. And I think the danger for me was that I set myself off into, if you like, a spiral of trying to sort things out. I don't know if you ever do that. And I found myself thinking, well, how do we pastor people? How do we look after people in this new situation? How do we do our Sunday services? How do we keep more in-depth teaching going? What about staff meetings, leaders meetings, prayer meetings? What about people who need shopping or just need a phone call or need some kind of support? And I got to the point, probably the middle of of last week, when actually I thought, you know, enough, enough. I need to take a step back. I need to do what God actually models to us and to have that active point of stop because just going and going and going achieves nothing other than burnout. God took the final day of creation not to frantically organise the new cosmos that he had made, but he took it as rest. He took it as rest. And what an amazing thought, isn't it, that the first day of human existence, following the sixth day when humanity is created, the seventh day, that first complete day in the book of Genesis, is a day of rest shared with the creator of the cosmos. And so we see rest is at the beginning of human experience and rest then will come at the end. So why does God rest? I still haven't answered that question. One writer puts it like this. God did not merely rest on the seventh day. He stopped creating and it was a purposeful stop. Everything he desired to create had been made. Rest is a purposeful stop. I like that. I think that puts it really well. It's that desire to stand back and say, actually, I am not just defined by my work. I am not defined by the things I produce or the things I can do, but I am defined in my relationship to God. So this evening, perhaps actually at the moment, you're you're on furlough from work and it it all feels a bit odd and it all feels a bit weird. Well, if you're a, a follower of Jesus... Actually, your primary identity is as a child of God. And we can rest secure knowing that. 
By Jesus' day, though, the Sabbath had lost a lot of its original kind of meaning and purpose as being this, this purposeful stop from work, and it had become very regulated. And there's all kinds of rules as what counted as work and what didn't count as work. Last summer, I had um, a sabbatical. As Baptist ministers, every seven years, we get to take three months away from ministry, and um, it means that I got to um, switch my phone off, I got to put an out-of-office on my email, and I got to do those things, and we as a family did those things that we felt would refresh us and renew us. And it was really an amazing time of blessing, where we learned an awful lot, and there were quite a lot of things we had to unlearn as well. But that, that period of sabbatical, or sort of extended Sabbath, was voluntary, and it was a blessing. Nobody put rules and regulations around it as what we could and couldn't do. Just to contrast that with the situation that we all find ourselves in at the moment, where there are now rules around us and regulations around us as to things we can and can't do. You know, we can only go out for that one type of exercise a day. We can only go out if we're going to the shops or doing essential travel. You can tell I listen to the news. But these are the things that we've been told we can do. And the feeling is very different, isn't it? We may feel at the moment like we're resting, but it's that kind of enforced rest. We have to do this for everybody's well-being. And that really, the, the difference between my sabbatical and where we find ourselves now, in some ways, is, is quite like the difference between perhaps God's original plan for Sabbath and how it had become by the time Jesus speaks into Sabbath and by the time the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing. See, as human beings, we're, we're not always good at following rules, are we? And we're not even good at following advice that is for our benefit. And so the religious leaders started to think, well, actually, we need to make sure people comply with Sabbath. And so it became incredibly strict and incredibly sort of anchored down. This is what you must do in order to be keeping the Sabbath. And then Jesus walks in on the conversation about Sabbath and he gets in a lot of trouble. This is from Mark chapter 2. I'm just going to read verses 23, 24 and then 27 and 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Then it goes on to say in verse 27. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now I've been going to church since before I was born. And... Um, it's been interesting just reflecting back on how views to Sabbath have changed over that sort of period of time. And when I was younger, I guess there was that, that accepted view amongst many Christians that actually Sunday was for the keeping of the Sabbath. It was for that seventh day of rest. And Sunday felt incredibly different to the rest of the week. And that, some of that was imposed from wider culture. Shops weren't open. People didn't do certain things on the Sunday. But particularly as a little kid, it was very much um, a day of worship, a day of reflection. So we would go to church in the morning. We then had um, a crusader youth group in our house in the afternoon. And then there was church again in the evening. I presume I went to bed. I don't remember going to church on a Sunday evening. Fast forward 45 years, and now we find that shops are all open, albeit to shorter hours than normal days. We may go on a race on a Sunday, we may do sporting fixtures. And worship has become more and more a minority activity. Now Sunday first became the day that Christians took Sabbath rest back in 321 on the 7th of March when Constantine the Great 
decree that actually Christians should all take Sabbath, not on a Saturday like Jewish communities did, but on a Sunday following the tradition of celebrating the day of the resurrection. Now here's a discussion starter that perhaps we can pick up on our Zoom conversation. You know, I believe that the principle of Sabbath is something that God has inbuilt in us, the need for rest, the need to worship him. Is that something that should take place just on one specific day a week? Or is it a principle that we just put into our lives as we feel the Lord leads us? You know, I do really feel we miss out on a great deal when we don't take God's call to Sabbath rest seriously. But how we do that is something we can pick up in our discussion. The second type of rest is the rest of the promised land. If you've got the the Bible still open, just have a look at verse 8. And suddenly we find Joshua gets a mention. Now there's a big backstory here about Joshua and we haven't really got time to unpack this evening. But the basic gist is that it was Moses who led the people under God's leadership out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea, they go into the wilderness and then because they're disobedient, they don't listen to God, they wander around there for 40 years. God does miracles in their midst but again and again they turn their backs on following the Lord. And so what happens in the end is it's Joshua who ends up leading the people into the promised land, into what is now Israel. And so there's another kind of rest, a very different type of rest, comes into focus. And this is the rest, if you like, of of having a home, of not wandering aimlessly round in the desert, of having a plot of land to be able to grow crops and raise livestock, of being settled down as a people group, of having a nation, a homeland to call their own. And there was something routine about that. There was something very normal about that. There is something God-ordained, isn't there, it seems to be, about the kind of normal structures of life, about work and of rest. And I don't know how you're, you're faring at the moment with the lockdown. I don't know whether um, you're, you're missing a lot of that. I certainly am missing an awful lot of our sort of regular things that we do in life. Now, different people will react differently. And maybe you're, you're here listening this evening and actually you're... you're an introvert by sort of personality type and you've had a big pile of books that you've been longing to read and now you get the chance to do it and this is actually a really great time for you. Or you might be an extrovert and you might literally be climbing up the curtains as you're listening to this because you're just desperate to get out. But I think one thing that is almost guaranteed is for all of us at the moment, this is a time of testing. It's testing our resolve to be able to do what the government has instructed us to do. It's testing relationships and it's testing our faith in the Lord. It's very easy, isn't it, to become highly negative at this time. You know, you see it on social media, you see people becoming highly critical of one another. And it's easy to become very fearful and to stop trusting in God's presence and his power to sustain us and be with us and um, his, his reliability and his trustworthiness, that whatever we face, that he remains the constant. And I've heard quite a number of people um, ask questions about, well, is this a sign of the end times? Are we, are we to now expect things to get worse and worse? Is this entering some kind of tribulation? Now, it's true, isn't it, that the scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, that we need to be watchful. We need to watch what is going on in the world and we need to be observant. But if you want a really, what I believe is a a balanced starting point 
to look at this whole question. Um, the, there will be a link just appearing on the screen to um, the Tear Fund website. They've done a really great article that I think just offers us some food for thought in this area. But you know there is a danger, isn't there, I think, if we become overly apocalyptic, if you like, in our thinking, if we start to think that everything is pushing towards the end, is that actually it can be one of those things that distracts us from asking normal questions about what God wants to do in the here and now. And this is another area, if you want to pick up this in our Zoom conversation later on, please do. Let's chat about this whole issue. But what about those questions? You know, how is God challenging and changing me during this time? How is God going to use this time to transform me, to grow the fruit of the Spirit in me? You know, I'm not responsible for when the Lord Jesus returns in glory. That's God's business. But I am responsible for my own life and how I react to what is going on around me. Apart from prayer, I can't do a great deal about this whole coronavirus epidemic, this pandemic. But there's a lot I can do in terms of how I allow God's Spirit to move within me and to change and transform me. Carol um, and Kenny Best have recently joined our church here at Lynn Baptist Church. And Carol sent me in um, this. I'm just going to read it to you this week because it really spoke to me. So she says this, The easiest way to share this is to say it's like a parable. Jesus used everyday examples. It's like a man who sowed seed. It's like a woman who lost a coin. It's like a shepherd. Well, this one is about a woman using her electric toothbrush. I'm a bit of a latecomer to this particular piece of technology and to be honest, I still use the manual toothbrush every now and again. Anyway, standing one morning, electric toothbrush in hand and mouth, letting the vibrations do their work, I found the urge to scrub away really strong. And I resisted because that's not how the thing works. Many of us are used to being busy, community-minded, active for the kingdom. But now is the time for all of us to be still. God is present. Let the Spirit do his work in me, in you, in our community, because sometimes that's just how he works. Will you let God work at this time? Will you ask those questions of the Lord as what is it you want to do in me during this period? The third type of rest we find in this passage then, if you look at verse 9, is that there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And this is all about eternal rest. So we have the, the weekly rest, we have the, if you like, the rest of the promised land of, of sort of routine, and then we have the future rest, the future hope, the finality, when Christ becomes all in all. This week we had some incredibly sad news, and if you're on the prayer chain, you will have seen it that a very close friend of, of mine and of ours as a family died after a prolonged illness. As we put on the news day by day, as we listen to the press briefings from Downing Street, we hear of, of tragic news of, of people succumbing to the coronavirus and dying, of healthcare workers, of, of young children, and, and, and it's so tragic and it's, it's so sad. The hope of eternal rest, the hope of Sabbath that lasts forever and ever, in the heart of a Christian is not something that needs to be vague 
are obscure. But for all those who have known the joy of life through the Spirit, have been forgiven by Jesus through his death, been raised to life with him through his resurrection, this is a real hope. For our friend, it's now a reality. And for all of us, it's the call to share this hope. Now that might be very different how we do that at the moment to in normal times. But we have a hope that is so amazing. Good news that is so phenomenal. And let's, as we approach Easter this year, think and be creative about how we share Jesus. So we have this hope of eternal rest to look forward to. When God will call time on the restlessness, the brokenness, the fallenness of this world, when the victory that is achieved at the cross and resurrection becomes absolutely complete, when Jesus has returned in glory, when the new heaven and the new earth, when the old order is passed away, when there is no more crying, there is no more pain, there is no more tears. And that is a hope that transcends every fear that there is today. Verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Or in other words, come on readers of this letter, don't do what the people of the past have done, don't fall away from God, don't get distracted, but stick with Jesus. Stay with the one who has called you and keep following after him. And then we get some final encouragements. There's a temptation, I think, as we get to verse 12, because these are suddenly relatively well-known verses to think that actually there's a complete topic change and this is like a brief discussion on the Word of God. Now, whilst it is that, we have to take it in the context of what has come before. This is, if you like, the rounding off of this argument for falling away with unbelief. And so it says, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. What was meant by this? Well, for the writer of the Hebrews, the Word of God would have included all the Old Testament scriptures that we have in our Bibles. It would have also, at this point, the New Testament hadn't all been completed, but it would have been the words and the sayings of Jesus and the teachings of the Apostles. We now have that in our New Testament, so for us it includes that as well. And what we find with God's Word is that it digs deep into our hearts. It changes us, it transforms us. You know, I mentioned that challenge, and you will get a Mars bar, believe me, when lockdown is over, if you do learn some of these verses here. Um, But that that sort of challenge of allowing God's word to soak deep into our being will change us and transform us. I mentioned, Anna, over the last few weeks as well, about this 10-minute challenge. Taking 10 minutes each day just to read God's word and to pray. If you've been doing that, how has God's word been transforming you? What has happened? Inside, how has the Spirit done a work in you? God's Word will change us. It will change us now. And it will prevent us from doing the things that this passage talks about. So just three things, three things then, before we go into a discussion on Zoom. Firstly, that call to Sabbath rest. Are we taking that call seriously? Are we living a life that actually reflects the way that God has called us to live? What about today? What are we open to God doing during this time of isolation? Are we open to God changing and transforming us? And thirdly, does eternal rest, does eternal rest provide the backdrop for all our life? Yes, there is hope. Yes, there is stuff God will do now. 
But there is this long distance hope that actually one day we will be with him. And that is the eternal Sabbath rest for the people of God. Just before we open up the Zoom conversation, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you that it speaks deep into our hearts and challenges us. And Lord, we pray as we've looked at this whole topic of rest, of Sabbath rest, that in whatever way we need to be challenged and moulded by you, that you will help us to keep being open to the work of your Spirit. Help us to become more like you, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen.